I'd be remiss this morning if I didn't thank you uh, for all your prayers uh, for me during my time of sickness. How many of you can make a fist? Can you do that? Is it pretty simple for you to do that? That was my first physical test I had when I started having therapy. And I couldn't do it. All I wanted to do was make a fist. And I had my hand like this, and you could see my hand shaking. And I, I couldn't even bend my fingers. I couldn't make a fist. I tell you that to tell you, don't take anything for granted. Not, not anything. You say, you know, I don't want to come to church this morning. Maybe the last chance you ever get. I'm glad I'm here this morning. I'm thankful to be here this morning. I am blessed to be here this morning. I want to share a couple things with you before I get to the scripture. <clears throat> I want to thank you so much for the cards that were sent, the prayers that were offered on my behalf and for my wife and our family. I want to thank you for your love for us. And <clears throat> I want to share just a couple things with you. Last time I was here was y'all's meeting back in January. I had all intentions of being here first weekend in June. But believe it or not, I didn't make it. I was in the hospital. I've been diagnosed with something called NASH. That's non-alcoholic. Steatohepatitis, cirrhosis of the liver, but non-alcoholic. I, I want to make sure I get that across. <clears throat> I was supposed to have had my first test on June 8th. That was my first series of tests, a whole day, basically to have tests. And June the 15th would be the second set of tests I would have. On May the 30th, around a little after midnight, I woke up and I, I just couldn't get calm. Woke my wife up and told her to take me to the hospital and we got in the car and started taking out to the hospital. Got about three and a half miles from the house. I got to feeling better. I told her to turn around and go to the house. Got back to the house. I woke up pretty good. So I said, I will lay on the couch watch TV until I got to sleep. <clears throat> Make a long story short, I didn't get sleepy. I went back about three o'clock and woke her up and told her, I said, you gotta take me to the hospital. I don't feel good. And I said, let me go ahead and tell you something right now, sweetheart. If I tell you to turn around, do not turn around. I said, you get me to the hospital. I said, even if I tell you I'm feeling great, you take me to the hospital, something's not right. To make a long story short, and I could spend quite a while on everything that took place. That was on May the 30th, early in the morning. And I came home on September the 6th, one, on the 100th day of being in the hospital, I came home. And let me go ahead and tell you something. I was ready to come home. But I wasn't ready prior to those doctors telling me I was ready. Well, I was ready, but I wasn't physically ready. But I want to share something here with you real quick here. 
I had my surgery on June the 8th. One hour, one hour after I was approved for insurance, the insurance approved me to have this transplant, I had a donor. Friends, I'm going to tell you, that's not luck. That's not normal. But I have a sweatshirt that I wear quite often at home now, and it says, but God. That's what it says on it. That was my, my motto the whole time I was in the hospital, was but God. My wife was told twice that I wouldn't make it. But as you see, I'm here today. And not here because of great doctors. I thank the Lord for great doctors. I'm here because God's not finished with me yet. That's what I believe. So many things I could tell you and show you and point to you how God was with me. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something greater than that. That's what's contained right here in this book. If you were to start a business or a team, what would you want to do? You're, you're, the, you're the chief. You're the coach or whatever. What do you want to have on your team or, or your business? If you were starting a football team, wouldn't you want guys that a little bit of, maybe on the athletic side? I think I would. If I had a business, and let's say my business is construction, don't you think I would want guys who have a little knowledge? I worked with a, a friend of mine from high school not too long ago in the construction business. And he hired a guy, and the guy told him that he, he had worked construction all his life and knew about it. He couldn't even read a tape measure. How I many of you can read a tape measure? He would say, oh, it's six marks past this. He didn't know what it was. He couldn't come close to reading the tape measure. I wouldn't want guys like that. You tell him to cut a, a board six foot, he may cut it six inches. We would want people who were knowledgeable, right? About whatever we were undertaking. When Jesus chose his disciples, what did he choose? When Jesus chose his disciples, what did he choose? Think about it. First of all, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Would you define as a follower? Is that how you would define it? That's not the way Strong defines it. Strong defines it as a learner, a student, a pupil. Jesus says, come unto me all ye that labor are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn. Learn of me. Oh, see that's... That, that, to me, that tells you right there what he's looking for. He's looking for those who are ready to learn about him. And he chose 12 disciples. And they were just ordinary people like me and you. Think about it. What do you remember the most about any disciple? What do you remember? 
the most. How many can name all 12, by the way? Can you name all 12? Pretty good job, isn't it? Some of them don't stick out, do they? Oh, I have no problem naming Peter. I have no problem naming Andrew, his brother. I have no problem naming James and John, the sons of thunder, the brothers. You see, Andrew and Simon Peter were brothers, and James and John were brothers. And you know what they all had in common? They were fishing. All four of them were fishing. I worked on a boat back when I was in college. I'm going to tell you, you talk about some devoted people to their job, fishing. They're relentless. They are relentless. When you're tired, and you're, I know I got tired a lot, my boss was still ready to go. That was his livelihood. It's what he did for a living. He loved it. And still does to this day. I'm telling you this morning that we are called to be disciples. We're called. His children are called to be disciples. We're called to learn more about him every day. You can't learn about the Lord by not paying attention to things. You've got to spend time with the Lord. How many times have you heard somebody say, I don't know what my purpose in life is? You ever heard that? I'm trying to find where I fit. Here in this world. It's not a very good question. You don't fit in this world. You don't fit. But I tell you what you have been called to do. If you're one of his children, I tell you what you have been called to do. And that's to worship him every day of your life. And to praise him for what you have. You understand you don't have anything that he hasn't given you? Not a thing. You have health here today. To be here at this sanctuary. Because he's given it to you. He called 12 ordinary people to be at the site. I, I plan on doing a very in-depth study on these disciples. I really do. I, I've got some questions that I want answered. I raised some questions the other day that talked to your pastor and a few more and they can't answer them yet. They don't know yet. But you know, Peter's name was Simon. That was his given name. But Jesus named him Peter. And when Jesus refers to him, sometimes he calls him by Simon, sometimes he calls him by Peter, and sometimes he calls him both. Is there a reason behind that? See, I, I want to know. When he names his disciples, when they're named, in Matthew chapter 10, in Mark chapter 3, beginning verse 16, and in Luke chapter 6, they're always named basically in the same order. That amazes me. Andrew and Peter, James and John. They're, they're the first four. And they're listed the first four every single time that the disciples are all listed. You know, three of those were, is in a circle. You know, they were the three that got to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John. 
I'm going to cut to the chase because I told Brother Shane I wouldn't be long. And I'm not going to be long. I can't stand very long yet. I lose my breath. But I do want you to understand this. There was nothing great about any of these disciples on their own. Not a thing. They were called by the Lord for a purpose. And they were given special abilities because God chose to give it to them. You see, they didn't earn it. They didn't obtain it by their labors. The Lord gave it to them. Now I'm not saying, I am not saying that they were not blessed in ways because to me, Peter was bold when you first meet him. And he would stay bold, basically, all his life. You don't see Andrew, his brother, popping up out front and being the spokesman. But Peter could speak. And he would speak. When they come to arrest Jesus, who stood up for him? Who pulled their sword out and was ready to fight? It was Peter. When Jesus came walking on the water and he said, Lord, if it's thou, bids me to come. Who said that? That was Peter. But you know, I believe if I ask you what do you believe? What, what do you remember the most about Peter? It'd probably be something he did negative. Where he denied the Lord. You remember that? You remember him denying the Lord? I do. I remember Peter denying the Lord. You say, Brother Ricky, what are you trying to get across this morning? Hope you can figure it out. We're called to be disciples. And you know what? We all have faults. Every single one of us in this building have faults and we fall short now i'm going to tell you one thing it doesn't bother nobody nobody in this building more than me of my faults it doesn't bother anybody more than me that i fail my lord sometimes i've been called to be a true disciple and that's when things are going great that's when things aren't going so great. Sister Debbie Connolly had something on Facebook this morning about this is the last day of this year. And that some people were glad that this day, this year is over. And I think she kind of hinted, Brother Ricky, you're one up. You're kind of wanting to be glad when 2023 is over. You had a rough year. But you know what? I've had a good year. Oh, I went through some difficult times. But you know what I realized? That the whole time, God was with me. He never left me. He never forsook me. He was with me through the thick and the thin, the highs and the lows. When the doctors were saying, he's finished, he's not going to last, he, he, he can't make it, God was saying, oh yes, but he is. Oh, he's going to make it. God's with us. And if he loves us so much, and I tell you, when we sing how great they are, we sing that third verse, it just touches my heart every single time. And when I think that God is so not spared, sitting up to die, scarce can take it in. Oh, friends, when we realize how much our God loves us, why wouldn't we want to be 
about a disciple. Why would we want to trust him more and follow him more and listen to him more and talk to him more and pray to him more and all these things you see? And I'm telling you this because you know what tomorrow is? It's the beginning of a new year. And you know what tomorrow is? It's a day that the Lord has made that we can rejoice and be glad in it. And we can make a decision. You know, most of us, most of us make New Year's resolutions. You know what? Today's a great day to make. And to me, one of the greatest, greatest New Year's resolutions we can make is to be a better disciple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I have a desire to be much better than I've ever been in my life. To be a true follower. Even when things aren't going well, that I remember my maker. May the Lord bless said the singing is going to be great. <laughs> he just loves it to, to come here here to sing. So, uh, my family loves uh, coming here. We, we've been blessed to come here uh, over the years and uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, and as soon as you walk through the door you can feel, feel the love of God going breast to breast. And that is uh, such a blessing uh, to myself and my family. would like to ask that you continue to pray for us in the time we stand before you. I understand the time. I promise I won't uh, I won't hold you over two hours. Um, we'll, we'll try to keep it brief as the Lord leads. Uh, I do want to uh, go ahead and throw some, uh, well, some caveats out. Uh, most of you have heard me preach before, and I, and I tend to come across very militaristic, very straightforward, very to the point. I'll just go ahead and tell you, if, uh, if anyone gets offended on that, you put that on my chart. You're going to put that on the Lord. Uh, that's this old flesh, and uh, sometimes I, I just come as, as direct and straightforward uh, as, as it gets. But I find the Lord does uh, quite a few times, and quite often he cuts to the chase and he gets right to the quick. Uh, and I find that the sword itself, the Word of God, is like a two-edged sword, and it's able to do the same. It just cuts right down to the marrow and the, the bone, and it separates those things. And sometimes that's kind of harsh. Sometimes it hurts. It was uh, not very enjoyable to me to hear one of my children come to me and just plainly and flat out tell me, Daddy, you're getting fat. Now that was the truth. It hurt now. It hurt. Uh, especially for a dad, I want to be their hero. You know, I've always uh, been that until they've reached this age. And now they've just realized, no, he's no hero. He's just fat. <laughs> just an old man. It was blunt and it was truthful. 
And I had to step back and just for a moment say, you know what? Those words kind of hurt me. They hurt my pride, but they were true. They were true. And brothers and sisters, sometimes this word can be just like that. It comes across very direct and it hurts. It hurts. It's designed to. One of the ways that God has put in you and enabled you to learn is through pain. In other words, if you reach up and grab a hot coal that's sitting on a fire, you won't do it but one time, I promise you. That's the way I learned, you see. Not very smart, not very intelligent, but my daddy would just, he would hold my, my mama off just a little bit longer. No, 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 don't say nothing to him. Don't say nothing. He, he's about to learn. And that pain would teach me things that words just wouldn't. And brethren, sisters, the word of God is like that as well because he places it within you. He writes it upon your heart and we experience things in life and then we start realizing that God's word is true. And the more we experience, the more we go back to his word and we begin to realize it's even truer than we first acknowledged. There's so much truth in it. Even the little smallest pieces of wisdom just began to resonate in our lives and we begin to see God newer and fresher each day. Now there's a caveat to that. You've got to study his word as this brother has already brought out. You've got to do some, some research. You know, in the wilderness, God placed that manna. He laid it out before the children of Israel, but you know it didn't get up and grind itself into the manna itself and the bread. It didn't just crawl into the tent with them. They had to get up. In the morning, they had to walk outside the tent. They had to go and do a little bit of labor there with the, the man itself. And they had to obey the instructions that were given to them. Child of God, that hasn't changed. We know that because we're told in this word that we serve a God that does not change. Not even a shadow of turning can be labeled with God. Right. Not even a shadow. Now, if that's so, then there's some things in this word that we need to take into consideration, especially now. We're coming up on a new year, as this brother mentioned, it's fixing to be 24, and it's also a, a voting time. Boy, people are getting excited, aren't they? They get excited. Brothers and sisters, sometimes our expectation gets a little bit past where it needs to be. Sometimes we get this picture of what is coming and what is going to come and we watch the TV and we, we, we have these, uh, well, infomercials, commercials, you know, that they're designed to make you spend money, by the way. You know, they'll, they'll show you, well, you need a new car. You just bought one two months ago, but you need this one. This one's smarter, you see. And you get that car and you start experiencing the things that come along with the car and before you know it, three weeks into it, you're not happy. You want another car. Your expectation has been set so that it is set up to fail. Do you notice that? Sometimes I find that I do that myself with relationships or even business. I'll see a project that I just have to have. I hope we win this bid, boy. And we get it and you know that thing is just wrought with problems. And before it's over with, I'm telling Brother Tom or a few others, boy, I wish we didn't even have had gotten that one. It was rough. My expectation had been set so high that when the problems and the tribulations came along, I was left sore, pouting instead of praying. Now, 
The Bible itself, you can say what you want to. I know that there are many out there that will say things like the Joel Olsteins of the world. Just think positive. Just think positive. And I know that the dear old brother Shane is always punching the, the lights out on uh, you know these brothers that throw that message out there because I want to be as truthful about things as I can. I don't want you to set your expectations so high that you're miserable when life happens. You know, I still remember being a child as a teenager and looking at my old fuddy-duddy daddy and how mean he was and how aggravating he was about certain things because I, I had it in my mind that, you know, I'm going I'm to change the world. Just watch and see. Wait until I get into the, the working environment. Wait till I get into the Marine Corps. I'm going to make a difference as a single individual. And now at 48 years old, I look back and I see that I didn't do nothing but make a mess. My expectation was so high that I thought I had all the answers and I didn't even know the questions. Brethren, I'm going to tell you something right now. Even as we sit, even as the, the eyes of our understanding have been opened with the gospel, there's a lot of things we still don't know. You know that? There's a lot of things we still don't know. I find this... From a scripture standpoint, I want to show some things in here, some things that, that we need to set our expectation on. David himself said, my expectation is from God. That's in the song. His expectation, what is his expectation? I'm expecting something to happen so much so that I'm modeling my life, I'm modeling events after it, I'm doing things with an expectation to either receive or to happen, something to happen. Well, if all of these folks have this idea that great things are going to happen and all these things are just wonderful, we need to remember that God does not predestine events. Right. He predestines people. Right. He predestines those individuals with certain attributes that are of him, not of this world. They're not of this world. I want to take you over to 2 Thessalonians for just a moment. Second Thessalonians, and I'm going to just go ahead and, well, I'll sake of time, I'm, I'm just going to have to read uh, starting in chapter 3. But I'll say this, Paul is writing to a church and he is explaining some things about the resurrection as well as uh, what is to come in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also mentions our, the glorious truth in which we uh, preach and most assuredly believe among us in uh, verse 13 about being chosen unto salvation, about uh, through all these things of sanctification of the Spirit and uh, belief of the truth. And we get to chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us, notice what he says, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. I want to pause there for just a moment. I want you to understand that in the midst of Paul telling the, the church at Thessalonica about the glorious truth of the resurrection of Christ, the return of Jesus Christ, he reminds them about some wicked men. He reminds them that the word of God does not have free course on this earth through our mouth, it doesn't. Now, that being said, I also want to point out here a couple of things, brethren. There are some individuals that do not have faith. Did you catch that? 
They do not have faith. They have not faith. In other words, the faith of God has not been given to them, granted to them. They don't have it. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because if I showed up here and I began to speak Portuguese or maybe uh, Inunu from a, a, an African tribe, how many of you here would understand what I'm saying? You know, the one with the clicks? I've tried, but it's been years since I even tried to speak. What if I started speaking that? You wouldn't be able to understand it, would you? What I'm pointing out to you, brothers and sisters, is that folks in the world, those that do not have faith, they're speaking a different language than you are. That's why they don't understand you. Right. That's why they think you're a peculiar people. They don't get it. Paul tells us that the natural man receiveth not the things of God. He cannot. There's nothing there for him to receive with. Therefore, when you began to speak things like this, brother, the Lord was with me. He delivered me. Even though the doctors told me I was dying, they look at him like he's a crazy man, like he's an idiot. Or when I go through life and I say the Lord has, has been with me. I'm not right, but I'm upright. He's taking care of me. They look at me like I'm a fool. We learn as David tells us that the fool saith where? In his heart, brother, in his heart. That there is no God. And yet many people, as far as Christians go, they grab this Bible, they run out into the world, they grab the first person they see, hit them over the head with the Bible and start talking Bible language to them, language of faith, and then their expectation is just broken. They're just broken. Because this individual turns on them like a lion and tries to devour. Brothers, sister, you next year, just because the date changed, does not make this any different. You're going to come into contact with people that do not have faith. And they're unreasonable. Unreasonable. Now the Joel Osteens and the rest of the world will tell you to do just that. Grab this Bible, go all the way out into the byways and highways and grab every one of them and start. Well, Paul just said, pray for me that we might be delivered from them. Little problem with the theology there somewhere. The only way someone can have faith is that God Almighty reaches down in mercy, stoops in kindness, says live and creates that new creature that is able to have faith. Not only have it, but exercise it. Which is why Paul tells us that you, as children of God, you walk by what? Faith. Not by sight. Not by sight. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand some things. You need to get it through our heads as Christians that this stuff called evolution that's just a religion. It's a religion. And it's being pushed down the throats of our children and has been since the late 1800s. And it's continuing to be so. So much so now that even inside the church, you're hearing people say things like, well, maybe God used billions and billions of years to create this earth. The Bible tells me that six days were used in creation. I believe that by faith, Paul tells me. That's why I'm standing on it so firm. Right. 
I believe in a God that is supreme, that he is powerful enough to speak, and it exists. And yet the world looks at me like I'm a total fool. Well, brothers and sisters, the only way I can have that type of faith to stand before men and make that such of a claim is because the faith that is in here is not my own. It's not mine. I've had atheists tell me that you, you Christians make statements like, well, you, you, you have faith in God. Well, I have faith too. I have faith in man that eventually we're going to be able to do certain things and it's going to all be better. How many of you ever heard that out in the world? Next year is going to be better. We're going to make it better. Man's going to do better. No. Not going to happen, brother. I've lived 48 years. That may be short years, but every time I read this Bible, I'm reminded of what Paul told Timothy. He said, man will wax better and better. He will wax worse and worse. And as I look at history, that's pretty much true. From education to just general man and how we act, we've gotten worse and worse. The late 1800s, you read something that a 16-year-old wrote, wrote, and you can't even find one that even teaches the concept today in middle school or high school. They were teaching Greek and Latin back then. Did you, did you know that? And now we got a generation that can't figure out whether or not they're boys or girls. But we're getting better. Uh-huh. No. Man will wax worse and worse than we have. We have. I remember having discussions with people all the way from uh, just, well, I won't get into that. I'll just say this. Uh, they've lost their minds. And they make statements like how good man is going to be, and this is the, you know, the, the 20th century. It's, it's, you know, 2020 all the way to 2023. Uh, man won't do this. Man won't have this problem. I still remember the late 90s being taught that as a kid, getting into the Marine Corps and going to a place called Bosnia and looking down in the middle of a mass grave. That's as early as the 90s, brother. And when I say mass grave, I'm talking old folks to babies. And you tell me that man's getting better? No, no, sir. No, sir. He said we would wax worse and worse, and we have. We have. I want you to remember that when you come into contact with people out in the world, brother. Don't set your expectation up so much to where you think that you know, all this thing is going to get better. We're going we to vote. And it's all going to get better, okay? The events may get better. The stock market may get better. But man will wax worse and worse. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Do not forget things like what Paul said. An apostle who had been miraculously changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, on a road to Damascus, he was changed, and yet he made the statement, the Lord came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Not was chief. Paul did not look at himself as he was once a sinner and now has become miraculously holy. He knew he was a sinner, still yet has he penned those words. Amen. Don't forget that, bro. Don't forget that. 
And one of the ways that the old devil works is to come up alongside of you and start telling you how good a person you are. Well, you better than that person over there. Look at them. They're over there sinning. Don't forget that. Because this Bible also says something like this. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, does that mean I'm falling out of grace? Falling away from grace? No, brother. Listen, you're safe. Your eternity is safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was done before the foundation of the earth. But I'll tell you this. If you've lived long enough in the church, and if you've lived long enough in this word, when you wake up in the morning and the realization comes on you that you've been prideful, and now the destruction is at your feet, and that you've been a haughty spirit, and the fall is happening, I'm going to tell you from experience, brother, it's not enjoyable at all. It's not enjoyable. And the reality is that we serve a God who loves us so much that he'll chastise you. One of the proofs that you are his. And brethren, I hope and pray that I can save you a little heartache, save you a little time, and save you in time. Go back to this word, read it, learn it, put it inside of you, and hold on to it. So that when the circumstances show up, when the events show up with this life, and it's kicking you in the teeth, you know when to stand, where to stand, and what to say. And that is wisdom. That's wisdom. Many years ago, I was just, uh, just in awe of my granddaddy. He was one of the few men that could say very little words. I mean, just say few words, but he said so much. Does that make sense? Y'all ever met anybody like that? I mean, barely said anything, but just your mind just begins to open up over all sorts of different concepts. And, and brethren, I'm going to tell you, that was good and bad. You know, he used to tell us kids, don't squat with your spurs on. Think about it for a moment, you'll get it. But he was also able to take the scripture and throw a scripture out there in the moment that things were about to happen. He could see us begin to get in trouble or about to get in trouble, and he would just softly lay a scripture out. And the brakes would come on. Wait a minute. Now, most folks will tell you that experience is the best teacher. Hogwash. That's a lie hatched out of hell. The best teacher is wisdom itself. In other words, if I can hear you tell me this has happened in my life, this is what the Bible says about it, and then I take that and I apply it to my life without having the pain, that's the best teacher. If I can learn a lesson without experiencing the pain, what a blessing that is. Isn't it? And God gives us a gospel to do just that. To remind us of even when you do make those mistakes, even when you do come into contact with unreasonable people and you begin to act just like them, he still loves you. If you hadn't figured it out, Brother Shane needs this reminding myself. Because I got a new year and I've got new people that I've got to deal with and I'm just from experience, I know they're unreasonable. Just from conversations, I know that they do not believe in God. I know they don't have faith. I know they don't. At least it hadn't shown forth yet, I'll say it that way. I need to be reminded, and brethren, so do you. Paul goes on to remind them, he says, but the Lord is faithful 
who shall establish or strengthen you and keep you from evil. Now, that reminds me, brethren, on a day-to-day -day basis that I need to be looking for those things that strengthens me. I don't know about you, but I'm getting older and I've noticed some things. When I wake up in the morning, I generally wasn't as strong as I was yesterday. I need all the help I can get. If God is our strength and our strong power, where do you find strength? You go to him, brother. You go to him. I need to be reminded and set my expectation as David did to remind myself that a truthful expectation that is reasonable is going to come from God. I need to remind myself that my strength to be able to face this unreasonable generation that we're in, it comes from God. You remember that and don't try to just handle it all your own, in other words. Don't set your expectation up so high about yourself to say, I'm such a great Christian, I go to church every Sunday, I do the works of the church, I can handle this. No, you can't, brother. No, you can't. There's some things in this world you cannot handle on your own. And he knows it. You serve a God that makes statements like this through his apostles. Cast your cares upon him because he hates you. No, because he cares for you. He came down here, left majesty, rolled all that up like a garment, set it aside and came down to earth, this low ground of sin and sorrow, didn't even have a house. Not even a place to lay his head. In other words, he's seen the whole spectrum. Glory all the way to sin. He's seen it, experienced it for you. There's not anything you can face in this world that he doesn't already know, hasn't already faced, and been victorious of. If you're going to have strength, if you're going to have something that you're facing next year, and you know it's going to take strength, brethren, I advise you to start praying now. Not too early. You've got a meeting coming up at the end of this month. I suggest you start praying for it now if you haven't. <coughs> Another little bit of wisdom for you children. You know you've got things coming. Don't wait till the last minute to start praying for them. That expectation has been placed in you and it has come from God. I want to take you to Romans 8 and I'm going to close with this. Romans 8. If you didn't know it, there is a different language that is spoken even amongst people that call themselves Christians. What I mean by that is, is I've gone since I've been a primitive Baptist and I'll make statements like I have a hope. You know, you run into some folks and they say, well, you know, are you saved? Well, I have a hope that I am. No, 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 you've got to know that you know. Well, number one, what am I saved from? Do you know? And number two, the Bible tells me that hope, I'm saved by hope. Did you know that? Let's take a look at it. Romans 8. Well, I'm going to be a primitive Baptist. I'm going to back all the way up. We've got to back all the way up to before the creation. So let me get 22. He says, for we know. For we know. Uh, brethren, that's not left up to conjecture. That's not left up to opinions. That's not left up to anything. He's saying we know this. 
Just like my child knows that I'm fat, Paul knows what he's about to say. You're not going to argue with him. He says, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Notice what he says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. You're going to find some folks that have hope. They have an earthly hope. You know, I hope for world peace. Well, brother, I, I hear you, but it ain't going to happen. Excuse my language. I hope for world hunger to end. Well, I, I agree. And yeah, that'd be a great thing. But it's not going to happen on this low brow sorrow. It's not. You see, we're not talking about a hope that says something that is just unrealistic. I hope it rains tomorrow when all of the evidence shows that it's not going to rain. We're not talking about that type of hope. We're talking about a hope that saves through in expectation. The definition, Bible definition of our word hope is earnest expectation. In other words, I expect it to happen, brothers. Now, the only way an apostle went through all of the things that the apostles went through that I hadn't had to go through. You know, nobody stoned me as bad as my little world is, and I like to poke my lip out and complain. Nobody stoned me yet. You know what I'm saying, brother? Ain't nobody throwing a rock at me yet, praise God. But every once in a while, my lip will get poked out because I don't get in my way. I don't get to do what I want to do or how I want to do it. But nobody's throwing rocks at me. I hadn't been beaten. I hadn't been left for dead. These men faced unsurmountable odds to preach the gospel. And the only way they could do so and face those odds was to have a hope. I have a hope. And a hope that was one that was willing to be present here in this nasty little world and be absent from God to do so. But to have a hope and an expectation that if that life ended, this old life down here ended, that they would be immediately present with God. This brother's mentioned all of his health issues and he's on a mountain and he's been on a mountain. But brother, we don't know. He doesn't know. He may not be done. He may have things he still has to face. Waking up in the morning and just getting tired. Brother, I want to remind you, your hope's in Christ. I want to remind your family, his hope's in Christ. It's not in the medication. It's not to feel good. The hope is in Christ Jesus. That in, even in this world, if I die, that I'm present with Jesus Christ, my Savior. And he saved me not from a, a little pop on the wrist from, from daddy. He didn't save me from sin. He saved me from the wrath of a three times holy God. An eternal wrath. He saved you from that. That's the hope. And your expectation should be in. Because if it is, you can be like Paul. I can be abased and abound, or I can be without. My hope is in Christ Jesus. I want to thank you for your kind attention this morning. Brother, please come forward.